Grace and Peace. You're listening to United We Pray, season three. I'm one of the hosts, Isaac Adams. It's good to kick off a new season with y'all. I've had a lot going on. I moved to a new home. Uh, My wife and I are now expecting our second child, and um, my father passed away recently. And I'll talk more about that later on this episode. I am in Wakanda. And we're kicking off this season from the continent of Africa. Uh, I'm actually in Zambia, and I'm here with my brother in Christ and friend, Pastor Saidi Francis Chishamba. Did I say that right? Chishimba. Chishimba. (laughs) Good, good. Uh, Pastor uh, Chishimba came to know the Lord in 1986 when you were 13. Yes. Uh, You've been a pastor for a number of years. I recently preached at a church where you used to be uh, the pastor here in the city of Kitway in the northern part of Zambia. Uh, The church is called Faith Baptist Riverside, where uh, our brother Chopo Mwanza is now the pastor. Mm -hmm. And now you pastor in Lusaka in the southern part of Zambia at a church called... Evangel Baptist Church. Evangel Baptist Church. Uh, Your relatives of Conrad and Bewe and... My wife is. <laughs> yeah. uh, for our listeners, Zambia is a landlocked country in Central Africa, toward the southern uh, end of the continent. And I've been spending time here at Central African Bible College and Seminary. You can learn more about the wonderful work they're doing here at the link in the show notes. Uh, I've been tremendously encouraged. United We Pray is focused on racial divisions in local churches in America. So you might be wondering why we're broadcasting from Africa. After all, in America, we're dealing with a specific idea of race. Uh, We have our own narratives and struggles. Uh, But brothers and sisters, as I've thought about my opportunity to come to Africa, I've been reminded that America is not the point. Nor is it the epicenter of God's kingdom by any means. It never was. Uh, We American Christians have a ton we can learn from our brothers and sisters on other continents. What's more, while we may have different struggles than our brothers and sisters in Zambia, we still share the greatest problem, sin. So though racism is, so though racism in the West might rear its ugly head differently than it does here in Africa, I've been struck as I've learned about tribalism here in Africa generally, and in Zambia specifically, how, surprise, surprise, it's true. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All people tend to divide themselves along lines and take pride in what they div- and take pride in what they divide over. Uh, all people tend to take advantage of others, and all people can take hope because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our stories and histories are more intertwined than we might think. So, my American brothers and sisters, it's a blessing to learn from the particular sin struggles and victories of our brothers and sisters elsewhere. I've heard it said that you jo- the joy of being a Christian is that you travel around the world, and the good news is you're never far from family. So I've invited my brother, Saidi, who I've learned a lot from, to join me for this conversation. Uh, thank you for joining me, brother. You're most welcome. I do consider this a delight and uh, a joy to, to be part of this program. Mm. Yeah. I loved our conversation the other day. Uh, mm-hmm. We were eating Zambian pork chops and uh, in Shima, mm-hmm. and uh, you were just dropping wisdom left and right, so I had to get you on here. Uh, brother, you're fluent in cultural translation. 
So you explained to me the roots of African time, what we in the States called color people time. (laughs) And you explained why we in the West think of time a certain way and why Africans think of it a different way. If we had more time, we'd talk about that. But there are three other things I want to talk to you about. And that's the complexity of sin, the joy of reconciliation, and the power of lament before we pray together. Uh, So the complexity of sin. I've been struck talking to you about your tribe Mm -hmm. and about how the history of slavery isn't just as simple as the white man coming and snatching black bodies from this continent, Mm -hmm. even though that certainly happened and we lament that. Yet you've said there are 72 tribes in Zambia and you said, Saidi, that your tribe was historically ruthless. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I come from, uh, you would call it the Bemba Kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, it's quite a big, big kingdom. Part of it is in Zambia, and a good part of it is in DRC, Congo. But um, particularly my, the clan that I belong to in the tribe is has some complexity because we find our roots as far as Zanzibar. That's why I have the name Saidi. It's not really native to Zambia, but it is a name that uh, has an Arabic an Arabic 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 twist to it. Um, my great great grandfather was from Zanzibar, a Saudi Arabian, but then he he relocated into Zanzibar and entered through Africa, through Tanzania, and ended up in the northern part of Zambia, which is Wapula, and particularly on an island where he did a lot of slave trade. So when he came in, he found the natives there fighting wars. And so he helped this part of the Bemba kingdom with their sub-chief, and he helped them fight a war. And one of the rewards he was given was uh, the chief's daughter who happened to be one of my great-grandmother. And so that's where the name Saidi gets its way. When you go to Zanzibar, they will talk about a sultan called uh, Said Bargash. When you come to Luapula in the island of Luapula River, where the village is, Kilwa Island, you will find the name Said Bargash there, mm. and that tribe traces back to Said Bargash in uh, Zanzibar mm. as their great grandfather. Mm. So he was the Sultan, and so it's believed that his son, who was really great at slave trade, made his way into inner Zambia mm. and intermarried, and that right there began a heavy slave trade with another slave trader called Musiri. So those people lived in that area, and that happens to be the clan where I come from. Um, having been born from them, my, my father was the last born of 22 children. So his father was about 72, eight, 72 or 80, I'm told, by my parents when he was born. So when you talk of a parent who's already over 70, and my father is born in 1948, so his father is born in the 1800s which means his grandfather is tracing himself as far back as 
1790 to 1805, that window. Mm. So there is basically, because of the gap between my father and his father in years, I can say my great-grandfather, two generations from me, were in slave trade because their father was far much older than the children. Okay, so that's why we have a short number of generation between us and the team that was really involved in slave trade. My father was literally the child of my old, old age. Okay, so he was involved... That is his great-grandfather. He was really involved in slave trade. When slave trade was abolished, they were left with a lot of slaves that they didn't know what to do with them. And so they made them part of the village. And so that's how that village is, is big. But you see, when you get into the history of slavery, um, the Western world knows it from the European perspective. We here know it from the African perspective. Mm. And we can easily blame that the European came into Africa and got all the slaves at gunpoint and went with them. And David Livingstone, when he comes and the other missionaries, they're going to wrestle the white man. No, they do wrestle the African man as well. Because my tribe and the roots that I've just talked about, they were not kind. I mean, they would enter other villages they would go thousands of kilometers into other villages, plunder those villages, take their sons and daughters, take their wives and take their strong guys and bring them out into these slave uh, cities or slave markets within Africa. Mm. And so you begin to look at that and you realize that this ruthless guy behind slavery was also the African guy. Mm. And uh, he gets or grabs his own brother and sister mm. because he wants to make money. Mm. Yes, of course, the white man comes and dangles those jewels and chocolate in their eyes. And men, they would sell a brother for a bar of chocolate. Mm. You know, they would sell a brother for just a mere shotgun. Mm. Okay. And at times, even after we were grown, when we visit our village, there are some languages that trace themselves from that far. They don't really mean it, but that's a language that has come, the words that has come in with the language, for example. They'll use phrases like, behave yourself, I'll sell you tomorrow. Mm. Okay, mm. so already, now the guy doesn't really mean he's going to sell you tomorrow, but it is an indicator of what used to happen back in the years. Yeah. In, a, in the States, we there would be a phrase from the South that someone would say, they would say, oh, uh, that person over there is out of their cotton-picking mind. Okay. And what they, they're referring to, slaves who would pick cotton. Yeah. And they, it, 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 it's, a, it's a phrase that carries kind of, that kind of history without, yeah. they're not actually talking about they, they pick cotton. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, brother. Um, so yeah. th th that's, that was what it was like back in the days. And so, I mean, I did take a trip. I deliberately said, I want to investigate where does my family come from? So I took a trip, followed the trail and ended up in Zanzibar. And I went with my wife. We got into Zanzibar, we followed through, we went to uh, the slave markets, we went to see where they lived. I was devastated because what I found in the slave cages and the slave uh, dungeons they had 
and where they used to test the strength of men by locking them in this underground cage and uh, leave them for five minutes and come back. And those who are still alive, then they're the stronger slaves. Mm-hmm. Those who die, they throw them, and that, then that means they have a good, good breed to sell. Now, I looked at that, and I realized that's my roots. Uh, my, my family, my clan, is or had been behind such. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt so sad, regardless of how beautiful it is to chase history around. The difference with me is it was attached it was not removed from me, like, okay, this is what they used to do. Mm. The difference was, this is what my lineage used to do. Mm. And so I came back feeling very, very horrible. And I realized that uh, slavery from an African context was such inhuman activity. Mm. And um, so you find that when you go to, like, to my village, they will show you the section which they would call the, villa, the slave section. But the beauty is what grace has done, the love of God. And you look at families like my family. Mm. Um, Wait, let me, come, let me come back to the beauty, though. Okay. I still want to talk about the complexity. Okay. Not that I don't want to get to the beauty, yeah, but yeah. Let, me, let me come back to that. Yeah, sure. uh, uh, let's just keep our heads underwater for exactly. a, little, a little bit longer because <laughs> you've said some heavy and powerful things. But hearing what you've said, it just reminds me of how sinful and messy and complicated people are, that we do terrible things, which just which doesn't justify anything anyone else does. Uh, so, you know, this isn't to say, see, it's not just the white man's fault, uh, but it's to say that we need to take heed lest we fall. Mm-hmm. It's to say that if we're going to understand different contexts, then we need to understand different histories. Mm-hmm. Uh, We need to have a full picture and remind ourselves about the complexity of this issue of tribalism and racism. Mm -hmm. And I think we mean different things by those terms. So in in America, I talk about race and racism. It seems here in Zambia that you talk about tribes and tribalism. So you you use the word clan. Uh, Here in Zambia, when we're talking about tribalism, what are we talking about? Are we talking about deep-seated hatred between tribes? Are we talking about something more systemic in the culture now? Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you uh, it's very interesting. Um, you know, one thing about Zambia, we have about 72 tribes, okay? And we do uh, experience what would be termed, like we see in other African countries, tribalism. But we really do not relate with the tribalism as is defined in a connotative way in other countries compared to Zambia. The, the, the thing is, in Zambia, we more practice favoritism than tribalism. Now, the tribal lines that we would ever uh, experience or see in the community, usually it hinges on politics. And this political party wants to drive its agenda in this area where there's a larger number of this tribe and versus the other area. But interesting enough, in every four corner, in every four, in every corner of Zambia, each tribe still has its presence. Mm. So the tribalism that we hear in Rwanda and uh, Ethiopia, Sudan and uh, Congo, 
where you can't even cross a border, you have your neck chopped out. We don't know it. And for one reason, or maybe I hold on to the reason, let me just further explain. So what goes on here, it would be more like nepotism. Uh, this guy gives his relative a job. Now, it's still tribalism in a minimal sense, but I won't approach somebody and say, you are a tribalist. Mm. It will be felt off and it will be seen as a very, very damning uh, accusation. But I will approach someone and say, you are favoring or you have favoritism mm. and it will be accommodated and people will apologize and all that because the tribalism aspect is not really felt or expressed or seen as it is. You may see it or feel it perhaps in those tribes which are really deep-seated traditionally. A few areas in, in Zambia, uh, they would talk about the Western province because the Western province, the Barotseland, is one of the oldest kingdoms. And when you talk of Barotseland, that's a phrase that the, 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 the tribe has, which is the Lozi people, has a certain picture that you would have about the Swaziland people and the Lesotho people. And it is that kind of deep-seated tribal construction that they may have. So you find that such a tribe would be perceived historically as a very tribalist kind, uh, tribe. But in actual sense, with the, with the dynamism of time, they are very accommodating. I mean, I was in Western province just three weeks ago, participating in what is known as uh, the Ministerial College for Pastors. We were graduating 22 pastors in that area. Mm. I felt nothing called tribalism. I mean, I was in the deep jungles of the tribe, <laughs> okay? And we were embracing each other. We were hugging each other. They were joking about me, a Bemba guy who comes in this tribe and has no knowledge <laughs> or whatsoever about their language. Okay. So you look at that. So we have this uh, favoritism. Now, you ask the question, why a country of 72 tribes doesn't seem to trade on the lines of a, a, a gun and a sword kind of hatred in terms of tribes? One credit we give to our first president just after colonialization, uh, sorry, after independence, uh, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. I mean, he was a good president. He had his own rough ages. He, there are many things that they didn't like him about in Zambia, but there are also many other things that we loved him for. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is his effort to break the tribal lines. Mm -hmm. So what he did was he simply took... Uh, state, provincial, district, and city administrators of this tribe and sent them to the other side of the country to go and administer that city of that tribe. Mm -hmm. And so he moved families all around. So if I'm from the north, he throws them to the west. From the east, he throws them to the south. Mm -hmm. And as those families kept going around, there was a lot of intermarriages. And the phrase one Zambia, one nation, really became quite a great cliche of the, of the country, mm. the slogan of the country. Mm. So through that, we have come to observe that tribes just intermingled. Mm. 
the kind of tribalism that you may maybe call tribalism, which is not even tribalism, is what we call cousinship. Mm. Tribes have identified certain tribes as their cousins. For example, I come from the Bemba Kingdom or Bemba Tribe, which is in the northern province or northern part of Zambia. The eastern part of Zambia, you find the Ngoni people who can trace their origin or history back in South Africa. The Ngonis and the Nsenga people and the Lenje people, not the Lenje, sorry, the, the Chewa people, all are in the eastern part of Zambia. Mm. The Bemba people call the Easterners their cousins. And reasons being, way back in those tribal wars, the Bembas fought a war with these guys and they went and married their daughters mm. and took the king's daughters. And through that, they ended the wars because I can't come and kill you. Your king has my daughter or my sister for a wife. Mm -hmm. And that means your children are my nephews and nieces. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I can do is just mock you mm -hmm. and say all sorts of bad things about you. But I won't touch you because if I touch you, I'm going to deprive my sons and daughters, my nephews and nieces. Mm -hmm. So that's how the tribal cousinship began. Mm -hmm. And so you see it in almost every other tribe, mm. even today. It's funny. Um, the worst you can see about those tribal cousins, one of them would be if you were to attend a funeral, a burial day. Mm. It's painful, but it's good. Mm. Painful in the sense that if, for example, this is a Bemba tribe and they've lost a son, the Easterners will show up at that burial day and they'll make fun of them. Mm. I mean, it's painful. Look, I'm mourning you making fun, but it's good because there would be no bloodshed. Mm. They will come with powder, baby powder and meal meal and uh, uh, corn flour and they will spray on the mourning people. Mm. And they, call, they won't react. They won't fight back. They consider that cousinship because they know we all will die one day. You guys are going to have a funeral. We're coming as well. <laughs> okay. So that, has really so the first president really played a role in Zambia, and so and was that 1965, uh, 1964 when we we got our independence. So there are a few hard tribes, which of course they are there because of sin, mm. but they won't shed blood in another tribe. Mm. Yeah. Well, that I mean, you're talking about the president. You've you've brought us into the kind of reconciliation part of this, uh, and I and you talked about effectively integration. Mm -hmm. uh, and the power of integration. You know, it won't fix all our problems. Mm -hmm. You know, slaveholders technically had integrated lives, but those were still lives of injustice, mm -hmm. as you've talked about so clearly. Uh, but I think it shows, it goes to show the power of when you live a homogenous life, you know, your church is all one ethnicity or tribe, your mm -hmm. kids, where your kids play is all one ethnicity or tribe, there are effects to that. Yeah. And there are really there are positive effects to mm -hmm. an integrated life, like mm -hmm. you've been talking about. So, Saidi, if there's if there's integration in Zambia and society at large, you were saying one Zambia, one one nation, one Zambia. Mm -hmm. Do Zambian churches reflect that? Um, yes, and or no. does tribalism creep in? You, you know what happened. Um, this is also a very interesting history. When the early missionaries came to Zambia, mm -hmm. they divided Zambia. Mm. according to their missionary lines. Mm. So you, you, there are two or three maps 
of the country. There's a political map which draws for you how Zambia is structured politically. Then there's another map which shows you how Zambia is structured religiously. Then there's also another map which shows you how Zambia and the rest of Africa is divided by tribe. Mm -hmm. So the early missionaries realized away from the political borders, they looked at the tribal borders. And I mean, it was really uh, not really scramble for Africa in terms of minerals, but mm. scramble for Africa in terms of bringing the gospel. Mm. So these uh, missionaries, like from the, the Scottish, the, the British, and all other missionaries that came in, uh, Christians in many lands and the Salvation Army, the, the, all these missionaries that came, the Catholics as well, the Anglicans, they, divide, they sat down, I'm told, I read about it, that they sat down and divided Zambia according to these lines. And they say, okay, you guys take the north, you take the west, you take the east, northwest, and they divided it like that. As a result, when you go in certain parts of Zambia, I mean, literally, I'll tell you, this northern part is all seventh day. Mm. If you go this way, it is all Dutch reformed. Mm. If you go up this way, it is go Christians in many lands, CMML or the Brethren. If you go east, you will find a chunk of the Baptists. Uh, if you come to the Copper Belt, the Lumberland, which is here where the first Baptist church was ever planted, you will feel that Baptist. When you go down south, you will find it's a Salvation Army and Seventh Day. So those churches were founded in relation to those tribal uh, tribes geographically. As a result, uh, the churches that were never felt the tribalism because they somehow were ministering to one tribe. Mm. So you find the, a good example would be, you find the Baptists in the Northern province and another section of the Baptists were given the Eastern province. In the north, they ministered to the Bemba. In the east, they ministered to the Nsenga and the Ngonis. Mm. So if a guy moves from there and comes here, he already has a Baptist church to embrace him. Mm. They will not look so much on the tribal side. They will look so much on the religious front. Mm. So that helped. Mm. And then because we don't have tribal conflicts, some churches have maintained the whole idea of being, this is our tribal church. Mm. No matter how you go to do mission work in that area, they will never come to your church because they believe their area is about this church and the tribe ascribes to this church, regardless of the error in that church, which is obviously the negative. But the positive is because there were no tribal wars later on, those tribal wars never made themselves into the church. Nonetheless, sin still creeps in, and you find there is an integration in the church, and there are four or five tribes. Like the church I pastor, I can literally count about seven to nine or ten tribes. Mm. Only when you talk about it does it register. Do you have the red the red flag flashing all over the place, the red light flashing, only when you talk about it. Nobody ever thinks in tribal lines. Okay. There are times when I preach a sermon 
And I know there are some tribal cousins in there. And every time I use a negative illustration, I would say there was Nsenga man or Ngoni guy. Everybody will laugh because they know, though I'm bringing the gospel, that illustration is trading on our cousinship. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm going to use, sorry, not a negative, a positive. If I'm going to use a negative I will tell negative on my tribe. Mm-hmm. If I'm mm-hmm. going to use a positive, I will tell a positive on the other tribes. Mm-hmm. And that somehow just soothes the relationship mm-hmm. on the tribal front. Mm-hmm. And we don't feel the conflict. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to be praising my tribe all the time and say negative to the tribes in the pews, sooner or later somebody's going to react. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about Zambians. Zambians are far different from Kenyans or Ugandans or South Africans or Congolese. Mm-hmm. We're so far from Americans. And in the sense that Zambians are non-confrontational. Mm. I'm headed to Kenya next. So this will be interesting. I'm going to interview Ken and Bugwa, So Yeah. So you will realize that the Kenyans and up there, they are very confrontational. They will jump on an argument they will wrestle the argument in the face and they would want to prove your error. Or and Zambians won't do that. Zambians can know you are wrong, but for the sake of our relationship, mm. they will pacify it. Mm. Um, they don't know the scripture, but they somehow behave like love covers a multitude of sin. Mm. Okay, That's not to praise us, but that's just who we are. Mm. There's a negative to that because in times of abuse, and in times of injustice, and in times of being taken advantage of, Zambians hardly stand up. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the downside of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you touch somebody like a Kenyan, a touch of a mosquito, I mean, he's flying. <laughs> <laughs> but you really need to bite for a Zambian to fly. Okay, right, right. So that's, and because of that nature, which obviously has come about by by the number of tribes and some of the efforts our early president did and the cousinship that we have Mm. and the intermarriages that we have, it has really killed those tribal lines. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. I want to ask you about one more thing, and that's um, lament. Earlier you were talking Mm. about a funeral. Uh, And you remember... um, uh, uh, that I almost didn't come on this trip uh, because uh, on the 4th of July, I got news that my father passed away some days before. Yeah, sorry uh, for that. Thank you, brother. Uh, so we're recording this on July 18th, so our listeners know whenever this actually comes out. Uh, and it's a strange thing for to hear news of death on July 4th because it's like America's birthday mm-hmm. party. It's a, it's a day to celebrate freedom. Mm-hmm. And there's some poetic irony there talking about death on that kind of day. But uh, obviously this was incredibly difficult and much like my relationship was with my father. 
Uh, but I came on this trip, and I have been so surprisingly encouraged and refreshed by my Zambian brothers Amen. and sisters. Amen. Uh, seeing what the Lord is doing here is what my soul needed, and I'm just reminded that the Lord works in mysterious ways. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, so I was preaching at a local church here in Zambia, and I wanted to mention how I was encouraged by the Zambians in light of the suffering I was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also didn't want to unnecessarily offend anyone. I didn't know how people talked about their fathers or death in this culture. Mm-hmm. So, Saidi, I asked you, you know, would it be inappropriate, inappropriate if I briefly mentioned my father died? And tell our listeners what you told me. All right. Well, Isaac, you wanted to give us a summary of it, just a briefing, mm. that this is what happened, to just quickly run over it. And, I mean, not... With, with with so much love, obviously. Right, right, right. Yeah, but then um, the difference is very interesting because here in Zambia, uh, lamentation or lamenting over the passing is very different. Uh, this is what we do. I mean, if you were in Zambia and we heard that your dad had passed on, let's suppose you lived in Zambia and we hear there's a there's a death in your in your family. One of the things that people do is we come around you. Uh, you are expected to set up your house as a place where everybody will come and lodge. And there will be families that will spend their nights there. Most of the time, on average, is three days, depending on the nature of death or the person. Usually when it's a child, it's usually two, at most three. When it's an adult, a father, mother, it's usually three, at most five. And so people will leave their homes and come to your place and find a place to lodge. And your place will be so crowded and they will be doing the cooking from your house. They don't expect you to cook or do anything. They expect you to lay down, sit down, remain in one place, go to the bathroom, eat. Everybody will come to you. They identify one person as lack of a better term, a chief mourner. Mm-hmm. You are the one who is the host of the funeral mm-hmm. or the, 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 the bereavement. And so when men come, usually the women come and they yell, they cry, and they have the lamentation more like in the Bible. They, they cry while saying something about the dead and talking about the family, and people would listen to that as they mourn and chant. The men would come around, like in your case. We, the men, would have come to you. And aside having a hybrid of an approach to a funeral coming from the West and also the Christian, uh, classic African lamentation would be, we come around you and we'll sit around you without saying anything. And we'll all be quiet for a minimum of about five minutes. At most, it can be 10. Mm. And at times, one or two people can say something and for the next 30 minutes, nobody is saying anything. Mm. And the whole idea is that we come into, we somehow sympathize or empathize and we come into your lamentation. A a bit of a picture of what we read in Job, Mm. when Job's friends come around him. And they just come and sit around him and they are quiet for days. And such such is the picture here. And after that silence has gone, the one who breaks the silence, it's you, the one who's bereaved. Mm. 
They won't break the silence by trying to say anything. They'll wait for you to break the silence and it communicates that you've acknowledged their mm. engagement in your morning and now you're saying thank you. Mm. And now you break the silence by giving us a bit of a deep narration of how uh, the, the, the deceased died. Right, and you were saying, you know, it's not that that would, my mentioning that would push people away. It's actually the more detail would draw people in. And I love what you said. You said uh, silence is great medicine here in Zambia. Exactly. Mm. I'll say it again. Mm. Silence is great medicine here in Zambia. Mm. Mm. And it's it's just amazing how silence, uh, you know, being a Christian, I know the Zambians won't say this, but being a Christian, you go running to texts like be still and know mm. that I am the Lord. Mm. And God, it, it really invites us to a moment of being plunged into a time of to really meditate, to really cause the soul to sit and ponder mm. and think through and get immense in the sorrow, the pain, the anguish of a brother. And that in itself causes the other brother feel engaged. Mm -hmm. Here, it's not how much you hug me. It's not how long you kiss me or you you pat me on the shoulder. It's how long you sit silent with me. Mm. I I mean, I was encouraged by that because, frankly, we could use more silence in America. Mm. And especially as we talk about these issues of race and tribes, until God calls people from every tribe and tongue, Mm. Um, we could use silence because I think if we are quick to want to want to rush and fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we talk about these racial issues more largely, uh, a common response is, well, what can I do? What can I do? And I think the kind of lamenting you described is something to do that's appropriate. I mean, even even the way you were talking about coming back from seeing the history of your slave trading Ancestors. Ancestors. I mean, you said you, you were incredibly saddened. And, the, and I found it interesting. You didn't just so then I went and did these five things, made restitution, and that was it. I mean, what? so besides the grief, how did you process that? Is, is there anything you did afterward? And then this will be my last question, and we okay. will uh, yeah, yeah. pray. Um, when I did, when I really visited that, I mean, I felt very sad. My wife could not believe my the expression of my sorrow. Mm. I mean, I didn't personally do that, but uh, I see my ancestors who I am proud of, who I have my name attached to them, and I have my looks and uh, built in my genetics is them. And their good looks. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I realized that, look, I, I didn't do it, but I feel bad that this is associated with me. You know, I just don't agree with some of the interviews I've listened to, especially, uh, sorry that I have to trick this way. But uh, I mean, I listened to some uh, BBC broadcast some time back and there was a debate going on. And uh, one lady said, look, it's not me who... Who, who sold your dad or who bought your dad in slavery, I wasn't there. It's them. Don't attach it to me. Get over it. Mm. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, at that moment, 
I would have agreed with her had I not made that visit. Mm. But mm. after I made the visit, mm. I saw the horror, mm. the pain, and the grief. I mean, I saw, they still have a few pictures, very ancient pictures, mm. of boys at the age of 7 to 12. Mm. They cut off their limbs because they wanted to run away. Mm. And now they can't sell him because now he's not worthy. And they have to leave him to die. And because they've spent money to buy him from the African, they will have to tie him against the tree because they can't set him free because he's worth their money. And then the Africans come around, can see that, but they can't rescue the boy because they've got the money, you know, or they've got the treasures they took. So I went back home. I remember we we were at this uh, lodge with my wife. I was... I mean, I had no sleep. I prayed to the Lord for forgiveness. Mm. Not so much that the Lord forgives me, but forgives the African for such animal behavior mm. to fellow Africans, mm. you know. And I said, Lord, this is painful. I can't just process this. And I just can't believe that a society built its economy Mm -hmm. on selling their own brother and mm -hmm. sister and championed the cause of their village on the grounds of the blood of their brother. Not so much that their brother died for them, but so much that they sold their brothers a commodity. You know, wow. I mean, those, that hit me hard and I sought the Lord. I mean, I just prayed and asked the Lord in meditation, how could this be? Mm -hmm that would happen under the hand of a sovereign God. Mm. And I told my wife, I said, I don't understand slavery, but I also don't understand the sovereignty of God in this context, mm. you know, but I still glorified him. Amen. Amen. Brother, I, I think we should just go to God in praise and in lament, and I, I just I, I want to just underscore something you said, because you said you know I would have agreed with that woman in the BBC interview. I didn't do this. This is and we all the Americans listening to this will know that is what Americans will say, especially particularly uh, white Americans. So I didn't I didn't do this. Get over you know certainly not everyone, and I have to make that caveat. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet it was when you got close to the suffering mm -hmm. and you saw those horrific things, that's when. It, 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 it wasn't an individual thing anymore. It was just you, you went to this kind of corporate prayer on behalf of others in lament. Mm -hmm. And America, this is another podcast episode, but the individualism is so rampant in America. Mm. And I know Zambians, after talking to a number of you and just seeing how you live, the, the in, there's not the same kind of individualism no, no. by any means. Mm. And I just wanted to highlight that. Um, I've pulled up some texts. I'm just thinking of um, Habakkuk when he's saying, how long, O oh Lord, uh, must I call to you for help? Uh, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, uh, even cry out to you in uh, uh, violence? And when Habakkuk is asking, do you not see these things going on? How long? And then he says later, though the fig tree should not blossom, mm -hmm. nor fruit be on the vines, 
The produce of olive fail, and the field yields no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Amen. I will take joy. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Mm. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm looking at the end of Job, and I can pray through some of this. So, brother, why don't we do this? Why don't you pray for churches in America as we struggle? through these topics, because we certainly are. Mm -hmm. And I'll pray for churches here in Zambia uh, and Zambians. And we sit here as an American and a Zambian, Mm -hmm. and yet we sit here as brothers. Amen. And I'd love to pray with my brother. Amen. You want to start us, brother? Sure, let's do that. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are again rejoicing in your goodness and love. We give thanks to you, Lord, for what you have done, what you are doing and what you continue to do. We are ever amazed and brought to a place in which we fall on our knees and cry to you alone with our arms lifted high because you are the God who does all things in accordance to your will and purpose. And Father, as we have so spoken around this topic. I just want to pray for the churches in the U.S. I understand, Lord, a little about them and uh, very little in terms of how they tread on interracial relationships and integration and what would be termed racism on their side, tribalism on our side. I don't understand, Lord, fully from the American context, but it's very clear, Lord, We see it in the media, we read it in books, and uh, we hear it on radio. Uh, We have seen again and again the challenge that the church in the U.S. keeps facing as it continues to champion the gospel across these uh, racial lines. Oh, Lord in heaven, I do pray for these dear brothers, the pastors and the brethren in the church, that, Lord, you would work in their hearts, that they may arise to the occasion to realize what you have taught us in your word, the power of the gospel. Father, at times we feel far removed from the experience or the situation of the Jews and the Gentiles, and we wonder what kind of a wall they had built. We do not relate easily to that, but Lord, it's clearly the same as what we experience, perhaps Uh, a a difference in in its structure, its ways. We know the Jews had their own perception of the Gentiles. But Lord, our prayer is that you may help, and I do pray you may help the churches in the States, that they would rise to the occasion to preach the pure gospel of our Lord Jesus, that they would embrace those of a different color and those also who appear to be different from each other that they may see what the gospel has done, that it has taken man and woman from areas that no man would go to and brought them into thy kingdom, and you have called us your children. Father, at times I tend to think the appearance of the rising of the church from the USA. I at times wonder how it would look like, Lord, very clearly when the African church would arise in the clouds when you return, it will be a deep chocolate color of a church. Mm. But Lord, the church in the States will be so mingled 
and it'll be like milk chocolate and all colors blending in one. Perhaps it will be in one deeper color versus the other. But here's the glorious part. You will welcome us all as one. Yes. And you will embrace us and make us your own. And Lord, while we look forward to be part of the church triumphant at your return, in this our vigilant time, we do pray for unity, for peace, for love among the brethren, for the preaching of the gospel, and once it lands on that heart of steel to make it into a heart of flesh, that heart, Lord, in the U.S. of our friends will quickly feel the reformation in them, which will permeate the borders of color. That's our prayer here in Africa, crying that the church in America could have a foretaste of that, that you would bring them to such a moment, that Jesus Christ and Christ alone may stand taller among them, with them. Lord, I thank you for this great opportunity that we can get to pray for the churches. I do pray further that you would increase the wisdom in the pastors. Lord, we thank you for the many theological trainings that are there in the States. But Lord, if they are done in a vacuum, separated from the reality of race and racial, they come to nothing. So Lord, I pray for the right application of the theology that is so championed in the U.S., that in the churches, it may break the boundaries and the borders that have been created by race and by all these racial differences. Father, I thank you. I do pray, and as I pray, Lord, I know. At times we say, how long, Lord, how long? But Lord, it is not long at all in your mind. We thank you, Lord, for the teaching that to every frowning uh, providence that appears before us, there is a smiling sovereign God behind it. And Lord, we know that as we look at the the tapestry of a carpet in its design and in its horrible appearance at the bottom, there is beauty above which you behold. And one day you will flip that curtain or that carpet and we will have the beauty to see what you've been doing with the gospel, what you have displayed as your sovereignty. Lord, we look forward to that. But in the meantime, we pray for much grace and for your undertaking. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, you knew my father on this earth. Uh, You knew the dad you've given me. Lord, you knew when his last breath would be. You knew the exact moment his last breath was. And as I sat in my tears, Lord, I did not think that it would be someone on the other side of the world that would bring such refreshment and healing to my soul. Father, I thank you for my brother Saidi and for my Zambian brothers and sisters. Lord, we cry out with them what Job said after he bucked against your sovereignty, Lord, after he didn't understand, after he saw horrific suffering. Lord, Lord, we take that prayer. We say, Lord, that we know that you can do all things. and No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, that, who is, it that, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? 
Father, like Job, surely we spoke of things we did not understand. Things too wonderful for us to know. But Lord, we repent in our own dust and ashes. Father, give us grace to repent of the times we've moved too quickly. That we've tried to dodge guilt or heap on guilt wrongfully. Father, give us grace times to repent of not thinking that we are somehow in the web of human history and a part of things that we actually are a part of. And Lord, give us grace and wisdom to know that what we're not a part of and yet how we can play a part in those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, Father, it's not, it's not who we're related to that makes us right in this world. Father, here we have the son of the son of a slave trader who heralds your gospel and who stands fully justified because of Christ. Father, if there's someone out there who doesn't bear any relationship to a slave trader and yet they're against you, they're the ones who stand condemned. Father, we pray that even they would hear the gospel. And Father, I pray that gospel would be heralded in the churches in Zambia. Father, I thank you for the common grace you've given them. Father, even how you used their first president to bring about uh, tribal unity and integration and peace. And even this cousinship, Lord, we praise you for that. And yet we pray, Father, that no church would be devoted uh, to their own tribe more than they're devoted to Jesus. Their own religious region more than they're devoted to Jesus. We pray that uh, the prosperity gospel, Lord, and any other false gospel being heralded in any church in this country, Father, we pray that those mouths would be silenced. And we pray that the gospel would continue to run here in the faithful churches in Lusaka. Father, we pray for our brother Conrad. We pray for the brothers preaching in Kitwe and the villages and the township. Father, in the compounds, Lord, we pray for these brothers. And we pray for these churches that their unity would display the unity that you enjoy with the Son and with the Spirit. Father, we thank you that one day our family will be reunited. We'll be united, Lord. Not even reunited, we'll be gathered for the first time. Different tribes yet all wearing white robes, all cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So, Father, as we see bloodshed, whether it be on American soil, African soil, Father, give us grace to lament appropriately. Give us sorrow. Give us courage to not just try to dodge the hard details of human history and human depravity. Father, you know the depths of human depravity. Mm. Let us not shy away from it. But then give us grace, Lord, to do what is right. As my brother was saying, for any Zambian who's, who's non-confrontational, Father, when he, need, he or she needs to be confrontational, give them the grace to be confrontational and to confront any injustice. Father, give Saidi grace as he goes and pastors his church. Help him to finish the race and to finish well. We praise you as brothers, not just as friends, but as brothers. 
enjoying one another, seeing our differences and taking delight in them because we know those differences are from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I appreciate so much you sharing hard and humbling things about your past. Um, If people want to find you, uh, I'll put a link to your Twitter profile in the show notes. Uh, One thing you need to check out is Saidi's photography. He's a master photographer. Uh, He takes some beautiful pictures. Uh, It's a joy to sit here with you. You're listening to United We Pray. You can find more information at praypod.com. You can email us at praypod at gmail.com. Welcome to season three. uh, And we will bid farewell from Africa. Pray.